Welcome to In Conversation, the podcast of Banyan Books and Sound. Today we will depart from our usual format to offer you a conversation between Julia Cameron and Joel Fotinos, centered around Julia Cameron's new book, The Listening Path. Welcome everyone. My name is Jacob Steele, events coordinator for Banyan Books and Sound. Banyan is Canada's leading bookstore in spirituality and healing for 50 years. The store is open for in-person browsing, and we also have an easy to use web store where you can order online and we'll ship books and products to you anywhere. And of course, this includes today's featured book, The Creative Path. Just visit banyan.com. So welcome to today's event with Julia Cameron and Joel Cotinos. I will join back in about midway through the event and we will discuss your questions. Julia Cameron is the best-selling author of more than 40 books of fiction and nonfiction. A poet, songwriter, filmmaker, and playwright. Her book, The Artist's Way, has been translated into 40 languages and sold over 5 million copies. It's no exaggeration to say that her work has revolutionized the way that we think about and practice creativity. She has a brand new book, which she will be discussing today, titled The Listening Path, The Creative Art of Attention. Julia will be joined today in conversation with her longtime publisher, Joel Fotinos. It's a thrill to host you both today. Welcome, Joel and Julia. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Uh, hey, Julia. Hi, Joel. When they say you're my longtime publisher, I think they should add and muse. And muse. And friend of 25 years. We, we've made it a quarter of a century, so we're doing good. Yes, and um, The Listening Path is the most recent collaboration between the two of us. Uh, and it started out in New York when we went to, to lunch and you leaned across the lunch table and said to me, Julia, what are you thinking about? Uh, and I said, actually, I'm thinking about listening. And you said, oh, I'd love to hear more about that. And so your curiosity combined with my move from New York to Santa Fe, I had left New York after 10 years. It was loud, hectic, noisy, exciting. Uh, and I moved to quiet little Santa Fe. And I found myself panicked at first because it was so quiet. Uh, and I thought, oh, I miss my urban noise, my urban soundscape. Uh, but then I realized that I was starting to listen more closely uh, to the sounds around me, to the sounds of raucous cawing of ravens and sounds of gentle trilling of songbirds uh, and the wind going through the pinon trees. Mm -hmm. uh, and I today, for, for example, 
is a particularly windy day. Uh, we have wind here. We have wind with Joel in New Jersey. We have wind in Vancouver. Uh, and wind speaks to us uh, if we learn to listen. So that was the start of the listening path, was listening to the wind. And um, boy, what a great book it, it turned out to be from that, from that lunch, which was such a New York publishing lunch. We were uh, in the shadow of the Flatiron Building uh, enjoying a wonderful lunch when we had that conversation. And now these years, just two, three years later, uh, comes the book, which I think is your most personal, or at least one of your most personal books um, for everything, for every reason that you just gave. And, and um, it's really connecting with people. I mean, it's already, already in a third printing which is pretty amazing um, and a wonderful testament to the book that you wrote. But what's interesting to me, Julia, is the timing of the publication of the book. Because back at that lunch, we of course had no idea about um, uh, COVID coming up or quarantine. Um, and then the book is released um, early this year when all of this is happening and, and we're at home, how do you think this book has served during this lockdown time? Well, I think it's an interesting question. The, um, the, the book is a spiritual path. Uh, it has six steps to it. Uh, and <clears throat> I think people during lockdown and quarantine, during enforced solitude, uh, found themselves thrown back on themselves uh, and seeking, for lack of a better term, spiritual wisdom. Uh, and so they turned to this book uh, because it felt like a guided path. Uh, and I think without a guided path, the energies of the quarantine could feel chaotic. Yeah, it really does um, give a wonderful framework for these times. Um, you know, I, I feel like this book is really accessible for people who have never read any of your books before. It's, it, uh, it has, it's very clear and explains well. I also think that for people who read The Artist's Way and do the 12 weeks, this book is like the next six weeks after that. Um, how do you think this book can enrich those readers' lives who have already done The Artist's Way? And um, are, what do you think they can expect to gain from working this program? Well, I think uh, we need to talk about the fact that this book opens with three familiar tools from the artist's way, morning pages, artist dates, and walks. Uh, and the first oh, 40 pages of the book are dedicated to a very careful explanation of these tools. Uh, and I recently was reviewed uh, by somebody who said, 
Julia's tools are simple and repetitive. And I think it was intended uh, as an insult, uh, but I was thrilled. I thought tools should be simple and repetitive. Uh, and what the tools do, all three tools, morning pages, artist dates and walks, uh, is heighten our listening ability. Uh, and they heighten our capacity for joy. Uh, and they heighten our capacity for insight uh, and intuition uh, and guidance. Uh, and they are very potent tools. Uh, and I, I dare say you cannot do these tools without having a spiritual breakthrough. So I agree. When you ask what can they expect, uh, I think they can expect to need to fasten their seatbelts. <laughs> well, you know, this might be a good time for you to talk a little bit about the tools that are in this book and uh, give readers a sense of what they're going to be uh, doing. Well, as I said, we start with the three basic tools and then we move into weeks. Uh, and the first week is listening to your environment. A lot of times we live with soundscapes that are very unpleasant and we, we sort of tune them out. Uh, and what the book suggests is don't tune out your soundscape, tune in, see what it is you can change, see what it is you can cherish. Uh, and so listening to your environment uh, becomes subtle. Uh, and uh, I can hear lizards. We have lizards here. Uh, and you can hear them skitter across the pavement. Uh, and it's a very subtle sound. Uh, and um, the second week uh, is a week of listening to others. Uh, and this asks us to tune into the nature of our conversations with other people. Uh, and often what we find is that we don't listen. We have a conversation uh, and our partner starts talking uh, and we jump in and interrupt. Uh, and we feel like we know what they're going to say next. Uh, and this week's tools say, don't interrupt, be a little bit patient, be a little bit curious about what they really have to say. Uh, and what we find uh, is that when we don't interrupt and we allow our partners to finish their thoughts, that their thoughts are often surprising. Uh, and we feel ourselves saying, I never knew you felt like that. I never knew I felt like that. So the second week is a tool of intense listening to others. The third week is listening to ourselves. It's called listening to our higher selves. Uh, and a lot of times we're not good at listening to ourselves. We have an issue and we think, who can I ask about this? And we sort of survey our friends uh, looking 
looking for an expert opinion without realizing that maybe we ourselves have an expert opinion. Uh, so when you tune into your higher self, you write out guidance. Could I hear about X? And then you listen. Uh, and that act of listening to your higher self gives you a, a, a sense of credibility uh, and a, a feeling of insight and excitement. Uh, when you find yourself trusting yourself, I should say all three tools at the beginning of the book are tools of trust. So the fourth week is the week that I thought, oh dear, everyone's going to think Julia's gone crazy. Uh, she's gone too woo-woo. Uh, and that was a week of listening beyond the veil. Uh, and I found myself saying to myself, I'm actually going to say in print uh, that I talk to dead people uh, and I get guidance. Uh, and so um, I talked about two women that I find myself calling on, uh, a woman named Jane Cecil, who is an actress, uh, and she died at 91. Uh, and a woman named Alberta Hanstein, who's a horsewoman. Uh, and I asked them, can I have guidance from Jane? And I hear, Julia, you are well and carefully led. There is no error in your path. There is no need for anxiety. Forge ahead. So her messages are very reassuring, very comforting, uh, and so's Alberta's, but she sounds like she's still in the horse show ring. She says, Julia, you're a champion. You're a blue ribbon winner. Uh, and we hear the voice of the horse show ring. Uh, and she says, I give you stamina and poise. Uh, and she does. So when I taught in London, I thought, oh, they're going to put their heels in and balk at this week. But instead, I found that people were very excited by this week. They were, it was as if they were just waiting for somebody to come along and give them permission uh, to explore. So they began exploring. Uh, and they had breakthroughs, uh, and their breakthroughs were reported back to me with great excitement. Uh, and uh, they said, Julia, you're not too woo-woo. <laughs> but I have a friend, a Jungian analyst named Bernice Hill. Uh, and I said to Bernice, I'm worried that this chapter is too woo-woo. Uh, and she said, Julia, woo-woo is where it's at. So that's week four. Week five is listening to our heroes. In week four, you're approaching people that you loved, who are, you were close to, uh, and uh, that are gone. Uh, and in week five, you approach people you don't know. 
that you admire, that you maybe wish you had known. Uh, and uh, I had uh, an experience recently of a woman saying, Julia, my hero was Einstein. And I reached out to Einstein yesterday and today I'm smarter. <laughs> so I think very often when we reach to our heroes, we're reaching for attributes that we ourselves have that we maybe haven't emphasized. So our heroes respond to us readily and warmly. Uh, and I think uh, we have a chance here to say, oh, I think it's just my imagination. But what I say to them is, well, if it's just your imagination, your imagination is a marvelous thing. <laughs> your imagination is wonderful. Uh, and um, that brings us to the sixth layer of the listening path, which is one which is often intimidating for people. Uh, and it's listening to silence. Uh, and a lot of times I find people saying, Julia, I'm terrified of silence. Uh, and I say, well, just try it. Uh, and I think that people entered the chapter worried that I'm going to say, now I want you to sit very still with a straight spine and cross your legs uh, and rest on your sit bones. Uh, and what I say is, no, don't talk about your posture. Don't talk about something that's difficult for you. I just want you to listen. Uh, and try listening for two minutes. Uh, and I had a friend named Jerry who said to me, Julia, I have telephone, television, radio, uh, and I'm tuned into my devices at all times. And I'm scared of what I'll find if I turn them off. And I said, well, Jerry, let's just do it this way. Let's have you turn your devices off and clock yourself for two minutes and then call me back and tell me what happened. So we got off the phone and I'm, I listened quietly for two minutes uh, and then my phone rang and it was Jerry and he was excited. And he said, Julia, I got the most wonderful idea about how to structure my work week. And I said, well, that sounds like insight, intuition, a hunch. Do you think you'll turn to silence again for more guidance? And Jerry said, actually, yes. So, that's the book in a nutshell. Uh, it's six layers of listening. Uh, and when we listen carefully, uh, we, we find ourselves waking up creatively. Uh, and I think uh, it's important to say, 
that all the tools are tools of deeper insight and connection. Uh, and that this book is a book about connection. Julia, just a couple questions. One is um, when you talked about the heroes, who, who were some of the heroes that you reached out to? You, did, you talk about it somewhat in the book, um, but I think it's very interesting. Well, I have two people I reach to often. Uh, one of them is Bill Wilson. Uh, Bill Wilson was a co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and he's a hero of mine because he dared to found a movement. He dared to believe that the steps that had worked for him would work for others. So I, I say, can I hear from Bill Wilson? Uh, and he answers me promptly. <laughs> yes, Julia, you can hear from me. What can I do for you? Uh, and uh, so I, I love to talk to Bill Wilson and I love to hear his guidance. Uh, and, you know, I have inadvertently founded a movement myself uh, with 5 million people reading the book. Uh, and I don't think they're all gullible. Uh, I think there must be something to it. Uh, and uh, so I, I go to Bill and say, how handle fame? Uh, and he says, well, I do it a step at a time. And I think, oh, I can move forward one step at a time. I can talk about my work one step at a time. Another person that I talk to is Carl Jung. Uh, and Jung is more formal uh, than Bill Wilson. He says, Miss Cameron, <laughs> I'm pleased to hear from you. Your tools are important. Writing is an important path. As you encourage people to write, you encourage people to have spiritual breakthroughs. Uh, as they have breakthroughs, they come to trust their psyche. Uh, and I believe that, that we are closer closer to knowing ourselves through your tools. Uh, and I think self-knowledge is very exciting. That's so great. Um, another question that came to mind, we didn't talk too much about the, the, the tools, morning pages, artists, dates, and uh, walking. Um, maybe you can answer the question about how do we do some of those things during a quarantine, um, especially things like artist dates? Well, in normal times, an artist date is a once a week, solo, festive expedition out of your house to do something that enchants or interests you. Now we have quarantine and we're not allowed to go out of our house or we're only allowed to go five kilometers uh, and then turn around and come back. Uh, and uh, what I found 
was that we needed to turn our imagination to our immediate environment. What would be fun for my inner eight-year-old, we have to ask. Uh, and we get answers like, take a bubble bath, paint your toenails scarlet, read a children's book, I have a favorite artist date that I take in non-quarantine times, which is I go to a pet store where they have a bunny named George. <laughs> and George is a huge bunny, bigger than my dog. Uh, and um, I, I go to the books, to the pet store, and they say, now if you want, you can pet George. Uh, and so I pet the bunny uh, and I get a sense of wonder and excitement. Uh, and that's what we're looking for uh, with an artist's date. So if you can't go to a, a pet store and pet George, uh, you can find yourself sketching a familiar object uh, and uh, learning to, to see it again. Uh, or maybe you can use acrylic paints uh, and do something very vivid. Uh, and uh, I think I think the tools uh, that you use during lockdown are tools of imagination. Uh, and I, I think it's very important uh, that we ask ourselves, what would delight me? And we, we aim for delight, enchantment, excitement, adventure, uh, something that feels to us provocative. I did an online tour of a museum. And before I did it, my first thought was, I don't really have time to do this. I've got other things to do. And I thought, right, that's the that's one of the blocks we have with artists' dates is that we sometimes think that that playtime is is wasting time. Well, I think it's interesting. If I say to people, I have a tool, you'll have to it's a nightmare. You'll have to get up 45 minutes early. You'll have to go to the page and not censor yourself. You'll have to move your hand across the page. They say, work. Oh, I see how that can work. Uh, and they very willingly undertake morning pages. But then if I say, now I have a second tool. Uh, and for this tool, I want you to play for an hour to two hours a week. And people get very skeptical uh, and they cross their arms and they tilt their heads and they, they say, play. I don't see what play has to do with creativity, with working on your creativity. Uh, and I say to them, well, you're familiar with the phrase, the play of ideas? But what you don't realize is that's actually a prescription. Play, 
and you will have ideas. That's so great. I love that, the play of ideas. And uh, what about walking, especially during a, a quarantine? Well, I, I think uh, we do it with masks. Uh, we, we do it setting off for, for just 20 minutes. Uh, and uh, I think that walking uh, is something that we are allowed to do. Uh, although if you live in Great Britain, you're only allowed to walk five kilometers. Uh, and I always wonder, how will I know when it's five kilometers? And they'll say, well, you'll sense it and you'll turn around. So walking puts you in touch with your environment. Uh, it puts you in touch with yourself. Uh, you'll have intuition, hunches, insights. Uh, and a lot of times people will say to me, Julia, I think I felt God. <laughs> And I'll say, well, you should feel a benevolent something. You can call it God or not call it God. That's so, that's so helpful. I think, um, I think that brings us maybe to the Q&A. And I think Jacob's coming back. And... Uh, I saw one question that wasn't in the Q&A, by the way, but it's a good one, which is if somebody is stuck in one part of, of one of your books and it's been a couple of weeks, what should they do? Should they just pick the book back up and start again or start at the, at the beginning? Well, I wouldn't tell them to go back to the beginning. I would say continue from where you are. And I would also say uh, there's a tool in the back of the Artist's Way book called Blasting Through Blocks. Uh, and it's a tool that breaks the chains of procrastination and fear. And what it is, is very simple. Uh, you, you write down your angers, your fears, and your resentments about going forward with the work. And then you share this list with somebody who is for you what I call a believing mirror, which is somebody who believes in your power and your possibility uh, and who makes you feel expanded. Uh, and you, you share your blasting through blocks. Uh, and after you have done your blasting through blocks, you go forward. That makes sense. Jacob. There's so many uh, great questions and just to invite anyone to type into the Q&A if you, if you have questions. Um, well, somebody uh, asks, um, have you had experience using your tools with children? Is it helpful to use the tools with a partner or in groups? That's several questions. So um, I, I wrote a book called The Artist's Way for Parents. Uh, and it talks about using the tools with children uh, and using the tools yourself so that your children will see them and mimic them. 
I have a 46-year-old daughter who has been doing morning pages now since she was 17. Uh, and she just grew up with mommy saying, mommy's writing. Uh, and so she learned to write. So um, the second part of the question was what? Oh, uh, working with uh, with partner or in groups with the tools? Well, I think it's very helpful to work with clusters. Uh, and Joel always reminds me that at the back of the Artist's Way 25th anniversary edition, there's something called a guide for clusters, creative clusters guide. Uh, and it gives you careful directions on how to, to form a cluster uh, and how to move forward in a group. Uh, and I, th I think, um, I think it's exciting to do the work in a group. Uh, it, it works very well if you do it by yourself, but if you do it with others, you find yourself thinking, oh, that's so exciting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Uh, and you have a renewed enthusiasm uh, and a, a spark. So I think it's a good thing to do the group in clusters. And, and that includes doing the, the listening path in, in clusters too, Julia, not just the artist way? Yes, it could work very well in clusters. We had a, a question about what would you recommend would be the best order of books? I think this person is new to your work and she wants to know where to start and what order. Well, I would say start with the artist's way uh, and work your way through the artist's way uh, and then endeavor to work your way through the listening path. But I also wanna say, uh, the listening path is exciting by itself. So sometimes people will skip the artist's way uh, and go straight to the listening path. And I think that's okay too. We had a question about what do you do with your old morning pages? Since you're not supposed to reread them, is that correct? Well, you don't reread them right away you maybe save nine or 10 weeks and then you reread them prepared to be bored. <laughs> and uh, what you do with your, with your morning pages is something that's up to you. I have some people who save them. I for years had rows and rows and rows of journals. Uh, and I told myself, if I ever write a memoir, I'm going to need these journals. And then I wrote a memoir and I found I didn't once go, go back to the journals. So you can shred them, burn them, bury them. Uh, I often think uh, that you should say, cremate the pages, then worry about the body. I just want to mention too, that Julia's memoir is called Floor Sample. And it's a it's a wonderful read.
Um, so I, I, on that note, uh, there was a question about uh, what other creative projects are you working on? And someone was also asking if you have hobbies or what your other interests are. Okay, so that's several questions, but I want to say uh, I had a breakthrough last week. I woke up and thought, it's time to show my movie. 33 years ago, I made a feature film, a romantic comedy called God's Will. Uh, and I shot the film in three weeks and it came out perfectly. And then sound was stolen from half of the film. Uh, and so I had a choice. Do I reshoot that half of the film or do I loop the film? Uh, and I decided to loop the film. So I, I looped the film reading lips silently. Uh, and then I looped the entire film uh, and it went to the London Film Festival where it got wonderful reviews. They said, this woman is not an old coward, but she is funny. So that was a delight. Uh, and I, I said to myself, I, I think it's time uh, to, to show the film. Uh, it was never widely released in America because we're not used to looped films. Uh, and it, so it had a European life, but not an American life. And I decided to put it up on my website. And so yesterday, after 33 years of silence, uh, you, can, you can go to my website, which is juliacameronlive.com. Uh, and there's a little section that says Julia's art. Uh, and then it has poetry, plays, and now it says movie. Uh, and you can watch God's will. Uh, and um, I'm hoping that many of you will. That would be a wonderful artist day. And that uh, Julia's website has so many great things on there that are inspirational and fun. Poem, the poems and, and music from her musicals. If you want to just have a great time or have a great artist date or just get inspired, go to Julia's website, juliacamerononline.com, because um, I promise you will find things that will make you smile and, and um, it's terrific. So juliacameronlive.com, welcome. Participant actually wrote in that uh, this event is her artist date this week. Aha. Uh -huh. Good one. Um, some, somebody was asking, Janet was asking, is there a crossover between tools that help with creativity and healing? Well, I think uh, I don't like to think of the artist's way as therapy, but many, many, many therapists think of the artist's way as healing uh, and they have formed clusters uh, and led their clients through the artist's way or else they've just assigned the artist's way to their clients. 
and so I think uh, that when you make a piece of art, you automatically are healing. Uh, and um, I think that a lot of times you, you don't directly address a wound uh, and yet uh, the wounds are healed. Uh, and so from a, the front of the room, uh, it's very interesting to, to watch as the weeks go by, uh, as people become literally enlightened, uh, their color sense changes, uh, their expressions change, they, they stop having skeptical body language, uh, and you find yourself thinking, oh, the tools are working again. Somebody asks, what is something that you have heard recently by listening to your environment? Well, I live atop a mountain uh, and I have an experience of being beset by ravens. So I uh, have heard uh, a, a cawing uh, and it grows louder as they grow closer. Uh, and it's a clamor of sound. Uh, and I think, uh, I think I find the ravens to be a very powerful omen. Uh, in Druidic lore, the raven is called the first animal. Uh, and so uh, I have an experience of the first animal. We have a question uh, from Sonia. Um, she's asking how all this applies to someone who isn't an artist. I'm not a painter, writer, etc. I see the spiritual development, but I suspect the creative part doesn't apply. Yes. I think, uh, Sonia, you would be surprised to discover yourself to be creative. Uh, we all have uh, a mythology a negative mythology that we grew up with that said that there were only a few artists uh, and it was an elite few uh, and they knew their calling from birth. Uh, and what I say is, no, it's not an elite few. Creativity is an innate part of all of our natures. Uh, it's, it's as, much your own as your blood. Uh, and um, so I think if you start out saying, I'm not an artist, uh, and you work with the tools, what you will discover is that you find yourself doing artistic things. Uh, and uh, I think I think the excitement 
of the artist's way is the excitement of discovering that we are far more creative than we imagined. There was a similar question about spiritual breakthroughs among different people of different religious backgrounds, whether they're Buddhist or Muslim. I, I imagine it applies to, to anyone. Well, I think it's very interesting. I have people say to me, oh, Julia, you've written a Sufi book. Uh, or Buddhists will say, Julia, it's a Buddhist book. Or Druids will say, Julia, it's a book of Druidry. Uh, and so I think uh, the artist's way creates a spiritual pathway uh, that has many different names. Uh, and I think uh, I think I, I set out uh, to write a book uh, maybe for believers. Uh, and uh, then I found myself talking to a man recently who said, I've been doing your morning pages for 22 years, and I'm an atheist. Uh, and I've written 13 feature films. Uh, and I said to him, well, you don't believe in God, but clearly God believes in you. <laughs> so I don't think, uh, I don't think it matters if you call yourself an atheist, an agnostic, or a believer the tools will unlock creativity in anyone. Uh, and I think that there are a lot like, um, you know, in Hatha yoga, uh, you stretch. Uh, and when you stretch certain ways, spiritual awakenings occur. Uh, and I think the same thing is true with the artist's way, that when you use the tools, uh, and there are many more tools than just the three we've mentioned. When you use the tools, you have a spiritual awakening uh, and it's automatic. It's like yoga for the imagination. Perfect, perfect, <laughs> Jacob. <laughs> um, so someone was asking uh, if you had one tip for aspiring authors full of desire to write, but afraid of the outcome of publishing their work, what would that be? I would say you're jumping ahead. I would say, first of all, you should be doing morning pages and they will encourage you and witness you uh, and guide you. Uh, and if you do morning pages daily, uh, in addition to your other writing, you will find yourself being led. Uh, and I think uh, thinking about publishing, uh, when I wrote The Artist's Way, I thought I was writing it for me and about 10 friends. And I, I, I didn't write it with an eye toward having a, a million copies sold. Uh, I just wrote it to be helpful. Uh, and I, I think if you write from a, 
spirit of service. Uh, it's very potent. Uh, and I, I think that writing from a spirit of service takes away the narcissism of, oh my God, I'm afraid to publish. Did you find in your practice of listening, this is a question from Lydia, that you received unexpected or difficult guidance? I, I think uh, that the guidance that I receive is always unexpected and surprising, uh, but it isn't often difficult. Uh, and I, I think uh, this is where I want to say, hopefully, I have written a simple book. Uh, and it will guide you to have greater simplicity in your life. Uh, and greater simplicity will lead to creative breakthroughs. So no, I haven't found uh, difficult guidance. There is a question. Uh, I'm also interested in this topic. I don't know if you know uh, Myers-Briggs, if, if you know your type in the Myers-Briggs, someone was curious. I don't know. Do you know your type, Joel? Yeah, uh, I'm a borderline EI and a NFP. Okay, same here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so someone was asking on, on this uh, topic of, of God and agnosticism, uh, she says that this is an area that she has a lot of uh, trouble around, getting her mind around. Can you, uh, I guess she asks, uh, um, the idea of a higher power, I guess, how, can you explain that for, for her as an agnostic? Well, uh, what happened was, in 1978, in January, I was struck sober. Uh, but I was told now, if you want to stay sober, you have to believe in a higher power. And I said, well, I have 16 years of Catholic education. Uh, and I think that's the grease slide to atheism. <laughs> uh, and they said, well, sh surely you must believe in something. Uh, and I thought about it, and I realized that I believed in a line from Dylan Thomas, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. And I thought that creative energy, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower, that creative energy is what I can consider my higher power. And so I began writing trying to let the force work through me. Uh, and uh, instead of trying to be, uh, I found myself trying to be useful. Uh, and when I tried to be useful, I found myself being brilliant. That's beautiful. Um, there's a question from Rebecca. How do you hold yourself accountable to keep growing creatively? Well, 
this is where uh, morning pages come in. Morning pages urge you to take a look at where you are. Uh, and uh, as I said, I woke up one day last week uh, with my morning pages telling me, now it's time to show your movie. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, I'm afraid to show my movie. Uh, but I watched it uh, just to check on it. Uh, and I realized, oh, I think it's fun. And then I thought, fun. That's what I need to remember. Uh, and I think uh, holding myself accountable uh, sounds a little bit sour uh, and a little bit harsh. Uh, and I want to say, just do morning pages and let yourself see what unfolds. There was a question about the morning pages, whether it's okay to write them in the daytime or at night, or if it's important, yeah. Well, they're called morning pages on perfect, on purpose. Uh, Jungians tell us we have a 45 minute window when we first wake up before we have our defenses in place. So you wanna try and write your morning pages in that 45 minute window. Uh, and what I have found uh, is that it's best if you do them in the morning. It's second best if you do them sometime during the day. Uh, and uh, if you're doing them at night, you're reflecting on a day you've already had and you're powerless to change. So what happens with morning pages is that they lay out a trajectory for the day uh, and they are a way of uh, ev evading codependency uh, because you find yourself doing what you think you should be doing uh, as opposed to following somebody else's agenda. Someone's asked if you ever use prompts in the morning pages. Um, I tend to not use prompts, uh, but I tend to say, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. Uh, and that is a prompt. Uh, and it encourages us to find something to say. Uh, and um, I think uh, there's a wonderful book uh, called The Creative Cure uh, by a man named Jacob Nordby. Uh, and he works many times throughout the book with prompts. Uh, and I was lucky enough to write the foreword to that book. Uh, and I, I think it's a good one. So at the risk of saying, I'm hijacking my own book signing, uh, I would say, uh, read The Creative Cure and use its prompts. That's a good one. Um, a question, uh, uh, Rowan asks, uh, how, how do we put it? How do I focus on creativity in my morning pages rather than venting? 
especially if it's becoming repetitive. Okay, you don't focus on creativity in your morning pages. You, you allow yourself to vent even if it is becoming repetitive. Uh, because what morning pages are, are stream of consciousness. Uh, and it's a potent form of meditation. Uh, and it's as if uh, you write down what we call cloud thoughts, which are thoughts that just come cruising through our consciousness. Uh, and so what happens with morning pages is that you ventilate, you ventilate, you ventilate, and then you break through. Yeah, I actually found it in, in doing the morning pages that also just noticing that I was venting about the same things every single day sort of showed me that this is where my mind is at and this is maybe something I need to change in my life or like it, it showed me a lot about my own self by seeing that I was venting about the same things all the time and then I could actually make steps. Yes, I like to say that the morning pages corner us into action, if only to get the pages to shut up. So there's a question about, um, uh, for, for both Joel and Julia, just about how you guys met and what, what your relationship has been. I'd like to have hear Joel on this, first of all. Um, well, briefly, we met because the person who founded the, the publishing company that Julia's book was published at uh, retired and chose me to take over. And so I first met Julia in 1996. Um, we met briefly at a, a big book event. And then she had a book coming out that year called The Vein of Gold. And... Um, one day in August of 1996, um, I was in my computer, in my office, and all of a sudden there was this beautiful woman at my door, and I looked up and it was Julia Cameron, and she said, "Do you remember what you said, Julia?" No, I'm dying to hear. <laughs> Julia looked at me and she said, "If you have any plans for the next two days, cancel them." <laughs> And we spent those two days um, doing a lot of work planning for the publication of The Vein of Gold. But really, what they were, were uh, it was two days where we really bonded with, a, with a, the same purpose. We really got to know each other. We did. We spent those days together um, and um, really got to know each other and, and learn to trust each other and, and learn each other's languages. And it was a, a brilliant start. And, um, you know, here we are 25 years later. Well, I think I want to say uh, that a lot of times when we talk about a muse, uh, we, we have in mind a feminine figure. Uh, and my experience was that Joel was a masculine figure uh, and uh, a potent muse. Uh, 
Uh, and so over the years, uh, we have had many of those famous publishing lunches where we go and Joel says, what are you thinking about? Mm -hmm. And I tell him what I'm thinking about. Uh, and then he says, I'd like to read about that. Uh, and so I find myself writing to satisfy Joel's curiosity. Uh, and I have had um, many, many books uh, come to me through conversations with Joel. Uh, and I, I think uh, it's not too sexist to say, yes, Joel is my muse. Which I love. And uh, I will say sometimes Julia completely surprises me. I remember the time when we were at that restaurant, that Italian restaurant on the, on the west, right off the West End Highway. I can't remember the name of that restaurant now, Julia. And we sat down and Julia said, I've got, I've got a project I'm working on. And I said, what is it? I mean, I, those lunches are the best lunches. They're so creative. And she said, it's a, it's a diet. And I, I, I just, I, I said, what? But I was so curious that what would the diet be that Julia Cameron was writing? And that was the book that became the writing diet. And she actually, pulled her manuscript up to that point out of her bag and read me parts of it. And it was fantastic. And the book did it very, very well. And, and it was wonderful. Um, so I love how she will surprise me. Well, it's tangible, the, uh, the connection that you have and the, the way that you inspire each other. And by force of that have inspired so many people. I mean, really millions of people have been uh, touched by this work, including myself. And um, so I just wanna say thank you, both of you, Joel Fontino and Julia Cameron. And on behalf of Banyan Books, it's been an honor to, to host you. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here. been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound.